Let's keep this light, guys. <laughs> no, it's got to be heavy. <laughs> about Metallica, it's nothing but light. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's got to be heavy as long as we're in standard tuning. Well, yeah. <laughs> shit got undone no there we go okay oh no did your bolo tie come undone go fuck yourself (laughs) why are you hating on a bolo tie oh my god what's happening you use the your free trial on the app you only get a thousand air horns i'm out of air horns you gotta gotta go premium after that baby (laughs) i'll pay i'll pay whatever it costs Morning. Fuck yeah. Welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. I'm Jackson. And Dave discovered the gain knob on his microphone. So yes. hopefully my life will be a little easier this week. He's a true it's hero. Be a lot easier. He's a true, true hero. We have a, a special guest with us today. Uh, we have uh, my best friend from childhood. You might know him from the Blacklist fame. Uh, his name is Alex. Give it up for Alex. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks Ready to dive on. deep. Real deep. Have you uh, listened to the podcast ever? Yes, I have. Well, welcome on. I know what I'm in for. We get to pull back the curtain. I, I, I meant to, before we started, uh, say like, hey, I may be a little mean to you, but, uh, you know, we'll do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. We will do it live. I can take a little meanness. We, yeah. we we will do it live. We will have some fun. We will maybe cry. We'll find out. Uh, yeah. so I, I, I like to know Alex as, uh, you know, one of your best men, or as I like to say, co-best men, you know, like mm-hmm. in the office. Right. I don't know who the other one is, but <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. It's me. <laughs> who are you again? I'm Dov. Yeah, we just did the introductions. By the end of this episode, we're hoping that one of them eats the other one alive. And I don't think it's going to be Alex, because Alex, you're a vegetarian or vegan? Yeah, one or the other. One or the other. (laughs) You're going down, baby. (laughs) All right, Hagen, why are we here? Uh, Well, we're here because uh, I had the great idea for our next deep dive for us to do um, the first five albums of Metallica, or as I have titled it, Metallica the Good question mark years. So I don't think that I'm alone in saying that uh, my beginnings of being an avid listener of heavy music started with Metallica and Megadeth. I think that that's a very common thing for especially people in our age group. This is where a lot of it started for us. Um, at, Metallica solidified the wide emotional range and the potential of different kinds of songwriting for heavy music, especially in the public eye. This was something that a lot of bands were covering. You know, they were doing different kinds of heavy songwriting, going back to punk rock, going back to the start of heavy metal. But Metallica really put in the public eye, you can, it doesn't have to be super duper fast or super duper heavy to be a heavy song, you know, to be something that you might consider heavy metal. How did this band come to be? So, douchebag, uh, sorry, I mean, drummer Lars Ulrich (laughs) moved to the U.S. from Denmark in 1980, even though he was originally going to follow his father's footsteps in being a tennis player. 
Apparently he was really good. Apparently he was the top in his age, top ten in his age bracket. Uh, but he moved to America to play music. Uh, he discovered his, his love of metal music through bands like Diamond Head and Iron Maiden. And because of this, he put out an ad in an L.A. newspaper uh, that said, quote, looking for other metal musicians to jam with. And he found the face of alcoholism, uh, sorry, uh, guitarist, vocalist, and frontman James Hetfield. <laughs> Damn, you're really going hard here. <laughs> uh, Hetfield was born in California. He was the son of an opera singer and a truck driver. Now, if that's not some kind of foreshadowing, I really don't know what is. He started taking piano lessons at the age of nine, uh, and he continued playing music all the way up through his life. Now, his parents divorced when he was 13. Uh, they were Christian scientists, so they didn't... They, it's not they didn't believe in modern medicine. They didn't use modern medicine. So his mother <laughs> passed away when he was 16. And that's largely what a lot of his songwriting is about, is about his parents and their beliefs and maybe how stupid they are. Uh, so five months after these two insane people met, the band is officially formed. And this begins the very first in a long list of shitty things that Lars Ulrich did which is his friend comes to him and says, hey, I'm naming my fanzine. I can't decide between the names of Metal Mania and Metallica. And Lars said, well, I want Metallica. So you can, So he told his friend, oh, Metal, Metal Mania is the better name, so he could keep Metallica. <sighs> so then I'll invite everybody else to join, me in, to join in with me on the story of Dave Mustaine joining the band. Because now we're, Yay. if we weren't already into the good shit, we're really into the good shit now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was uh, really worried that you guys were going to be really nice about Metallica because I put up some fight whenever you guys, uh, or really you, Hagen, uh, talked about <laughs> doing this. <laughs> so I was like, God damn it, I'm going to be in a real pissy mood. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that I'm not going to be the only sour one during this episode. Dude, I watched some kind of monster last night. It's not relevant to the albums we listened to but i watched it because you know metallica and it's a fucking great documentary and uh it really put me in the mood to hate these guys so i'm right oh, here with man. you yeah me too uh, we were we were watching it at the same time and texting back and forth and i was like <laughs> these guys are insane <laughs> are, are y'all gonna be mad at me if i didn't listen to the first five metallica albums and instead just listen to the first five megadeth albums <laughs> talk <laughs> as if i'm talking about metallica but truly just talking about megadeth well i mean you know we're talking about dave mustaine he the, he has a part in the documentary where he's like do you have any idea how much it sucks to be me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i can't feel too bad for dave mustaine because he was on Infowars, as adam loves to bring up do i yeah <laughs> <laughs> on our feuds episode i was talking about how much i like dave mustaine as a musician but not so much as a person and then you brought that up and i was like ah i guess i can't really say i like dave mustaine after you say that so i, I don't yeah. remember that happening but i guess it did so yeah. i think we're we're gonna need to separate these people from their work to yeah. really dive into this right on some level because they're, they're none of the characters are really that likable we can't talk about James Hetfield killing bears. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to try and steer as far away from that as I can. Because as somebody who's not a shithead who likes killing animals for sport, you know, that definitely bothers me. 
and he he's very he's super adamant about that like i think he i may be mistaken on this but i think he's uh, a fan of the nra and i know he's a huge fan of hunting he did he uh did um the voiceover for some uh hunting documentary I, I i don't know what the fuck that is what you call that but yeah was it literally just was it just hey hey the whole time was that the entire <laughs> yeah. documentary <laughs> like yeah. whenever the hunter gets the animal he goes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but at the uh, when he was recording his voiceover parts he had to have his guitar with him because he can't do his vocals without a guitar <laughs> he can't do he can't do his vocals mm. with a guitar <laughs> All right, so that's been a deep dive of Metallica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they get Dave Mustaine in the band. He he responds to another ad, and then they record uh, "Hit the Lights" for a compilation record. Now this is this is relevant to the documentary, but the compilation record misspelled their name and put two T's in it, and uh, divas be angry. And they're not even they don't have a right to fucking be divas yet. They just started. They recorded their first fucking song. And they're very angry about it, which in in the documentary, there's like a tape on one of the amps and it says Metlica and James gets very upset about it. <laughs> well, that's the kind of arrogance that takes you all the way, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason. There's a reason they're Metallica or Metlica. 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 <laughs> that's what we yum, can yum, name yum. this episode. The, the, the episode's, episode's name is Metlica now? Yeah. Metlica. I was thinking it would be Metlica or Alcoholica. Alcoholica. I like it. So, Hagen, do you have anything uh, else to say before we kick into the first album? Uh, I mean, just like they they had a bass player before Cliff Burton, um, who was uh, in a band with James Setfield before all of this. Um, His name is Ron Ron McGovney. Yeah, and uh, Ron McGovney will come back later in the story. But for now, he exits because McGovney does not get along with Mustaine and Ulrich very well. So uh, they kick him out of the band. Uh, it's also like the kind of the beginning of what you'll see. If, again, it, you know, personalities are fucking insane with this band. But I, Lars and James being together is like this very, very bad mix of people where they can they, they bring out the absolute worst in each other and they make popular good music but they bring out the absolute worst in each other. So James brings in his buddy and then kicks him out of the band. And I would, I would honestly say that Lars is a big reason for that. I think a lot of the bad choices in the band, if you read about them, whether or not this is true, people at least point the finger towards Lars and say, well, he's the one who said turn down the bass. He's the one who did this. He's the one. He's, yeah, so... I think there is definitely is a history of uh, people blaming Lars, whether or not that's the case. I definitely, it's weird. I get this idea like that I understand why people don't like Dave Mustaine. I understand why people don't like James Hetfield. With Lars, it's really in interviews, he doesn't come off as a douchebag, but in all these stories, that's all you hear is that he's an asshole. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's basically all I got until the first album. You know, there's there's how they got to the first album, but it's you know whatever. They there's a label and there's another guy and blah blah blah. But they recorded their first album, Kill 'Em All, 1983, which was originally titled Metal Up Your Ass. <laughs> <laughs> but they had to be convinced. The cover would have been uh, uh, a hand clutching a dagger emerging from a toilet bowl. 
That's very butthole surfers of them, which I don't know if butthole surfers were uh, relevant at this time at 1983, but I could see a butthole surfers record being exactly what you just described. Yeah, it, it... it's a very like they their manager and at the time had to convince them to change it that it wasn't going to do well and they were really upset that they had to change the album name and title like what metal up your ass isn't going to go well in like front of people in a store they're not just going to buy that immediately well yeah i think the, the guy that was convincing them to do that was like putting all of his life savings into this album because he believed in the band <laughs> yeah and he was like if we name it this i'm i'm sunk like that's it for me <laughs> But of course, their divas, uh, them being divas, they put up a fight with that. Do you guys want to hear my first note that I wrote about this album? Yes. This is going to come back full circle, hopefully, by the end of this episode. But my first note is, it's crazy how dated guitar solos feel. (laughs) Just in general, hearing a guitar solo, not necessarily... Oh, we didn't even mention who the guitarist on this album is. Not who wrote the guitar, who is playing the guitar. Well, yeah, but we kind of have to talk Mr. about Kirk. why Kirk Hammett's on this album and not Dave Mustaine. But we already did that. We already did. Alcoholica. Yeah. But, that's, <laughs> but we can go into <laughs> but that. But that's not, that's not the whole story, though. Okay. What's the whole story, Hagen? Whenever you tell this story, whoever does it, can you do it in the style of Dave Mustaine <laughs> in Sweating Bullets? <laughs> All right, I woke up, and they said, here's your bus ticket. I had to get there in 20 minutes. Well, there's that side of it, but I think it's really important to tell the dog story. The kicking of the dog story is is so important. I don't know this story. Okay. This is an incredible story. I have have Dave Mustaine's quote from an interview written down. I'm just going to pull pieces of it. But the, the whole point of the story is that uh, Dave Mustaine, at the time, he was selling pot. And someone broke into his house, and so and they stole all of his shit. So he was like, cool, well, I'm going to get dogs to protect the house. So he gets two dogs. So he brings them to a rehearsal. And the dogs, so this is, this is back when they had the old bass player in, before Burton. The dogs jump all over his car and, I guess, supposedly scratch it up. So James Hetfield kicks the dogs, starts, like, beating the dogs. Uh, and Dave Mustaine was like, what are you doing? And James Hetfield basically was like, what, you don't hit your dogs? Like, they're, they're fucking shit up. You have to hit your dogs. And so then Dave Mustaine started punching James, and they got in a really big fight. They got in a massive brawl. Yikes. Yep. So when yeah. he's asked that's, about that's his... So, that's so metal. <laughs> When he's asked about why he was, you know, kicked out of the band, yeah, I mean, alcohol is a very big part of it, and and drugs, but I mean, at the end of the day, that that's definitely, you know, there were a lot of other factors, and all those guys were drinking too, so that's like a absolute bullshit reason to kick someone out of a band because they're also drinking. Yeah, that's such a weird reason. Whenever you hear about it, because people, well, and so. I did see a lot of people talking about it, and this might be revisionist revisionist history here, coming from the bandmates of Metallica, but they always said that, like, oh, Dave Mustaine, the rest of us, we were all drinking and doing, you know, partying and stuff like that, but whenever we would do it, you know, we were having a good time. Of course, you know, it's not great to be heavily indulging in that kind of stuff nonstop, but 
we were having a good time, whereas whenever Dave Mustaine would do it, they were saying that he got really aggressive. And, you know, I wonder how much of that is true, especially coming from Dave Mustaine now, as we all know him, has been shaped by this kind of idea that he's been screwed over. His whole career, Megadeth, was only created because he was screwed over and he was kicked out of a band, that kind of thing. And so I wonder how much of his personality, the way he acts now, is because he got kicked out of the band or if the way he acts now is actually just the way he was when he was in Metallica. Because, you know, it's so hard because even not even talking about Dave Mustaine, but when we talk about, you know, bass tracks and stuff and later Metallica albums, you can see the band changing their reasons for a lot of things, which just kind of shows typically I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but typically when somebody's changing their story a ton, it means they're lying or, and, or they're feeling guilt about a situation. So yeah, I wonder how much of an asshole he was during that period. I mean, there's there's early concert footage with him when he was when he was in the band. He and James Hetfield would switch off, who was the front man. And so that when there's a great clip over there, James Hetfield finishes the song, and then here comes Dave Mustaine, and he he talks to the audience, and he's like, "What's up, fuckers?" And he's like totally being a dickhead to the audience. So yeah, 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 and that does feel very much of this like 1980s thrash metal vibe. I don't think people in Anthrax and all that kind of they're all truly that way, but some people take that metalhead personality to the extreme. The same way that, like, punks, some punks can be assholes, that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Did you guys see that their second uh, show, Metallica's second show, when Dave Mustaine was still in the band, was at the Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A.? They were opening up for a band. I forgot what the band's name was, but the original opening band was supposed to be Motley Crue, but Motley Crue had to drop because they were too big to play the show. (laughs) (laughs) A little fun fact for you guys. I like that. That's good. So then they kick Mustaine out, and they bring in Kirk Hammett, who uh, took lessons from Joe Satriani. Yeah. He was a protege. I saw that. He was a protege. But wasn't that later on before they recorded one of the later albums? It, It was both. He learned, I think he was his guitar teacher, and then later on, he kind of consulted with him to, yeah, I don't know. But that totally makes sense. When you listen to a Kirk Hammett guitar solo, that makes complete sense. Sometimes. Other times, no. (laughs) (laughs) For 1983, though, just speaking about, like, the guitar work, it was pretty, pretty epic, right? I mean, like, this, this this is the beginning of thrash metal, yeah, uh, one of the big four bands being born, and like it, it's a pretty heavy album for '83. It's really setting the course for a lot of stuff to come. A lot of stuff we're listening to today because of those those solos, definitely. Yeah, I definitely felt that it, it, it was important for us to mention that they're a part of it's the big four of thrash, right? It's four, right? It's four. It's four. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's uh, Anthrax, Megadeth. Metallica and Slayer. Yep. So thrash metal, it really, you know, I don't know if necessarily, I'm not an expert in it, but I don't know if it was necessarily born from these bands, but it was definitely, it was brought to its peak from these bands. So 
Does anybody have a good explanation of what thrash is? I could say this first album, Kill 'Em All, is for sure thrash, but I don't know what I would necessarily say. I know what speed metal is. I know what death metal is. I know what sludge metal is. But like, what what defines slap or thrash? James Hetfield said that he would have called the band. He would have said that they were speed metal yep. and not thrash. But it, to me, it just it just sounds like fast punk, like with aggressive vocals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and guitar solos. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the difference. Is cause, so with punk, it's fast, and they have you know whatever like sloppy vocals they have. And in this album, it was fast, and there were sloppy vocals. But the difference was, I think, really the ability to play instruments. Whereas punk, that didn't matter. It was about a statement. Right. And Metallica had a lot more. You know, we actually can play our instruments better. You know, we're not just out here to play because we're going to yell about something. Sure, that might be the case, but you know, there there are guitar solos, there are really cool musical things in the whole, like it, it, on the entire album. So I think that's a pretty key difference. The term thrash metal was coined by someone who was writing about Anthrax in 1980. Mm. Yeah, I think Anthrax had a song with thrash in it or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So- but some yeah. people consider like Whiplash to be the first thrash metal song. But to me, that song sounds like it just sounds like a Motorhead song. Right. Yeah. Not my speed. Not my tempo. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the whole album's basically at the same tempo, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's same what I noticed key, listening I would back. Assume. Yeah. But I think you know minor. The, the, one of the coolest things for for me <laughs> when listening to it was was to hear how young James Hetfield's voice sounded. He sounds like a different person. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Sure. For the most part, uh, I wasn't a I wasn't in love with this album, but I did like songs like Whiplash, Phantom Lord. I really liked, and there was an actual like a legitimate. I'm not talking about that uh, uh, scream, nothing like that, or that was a horrible James Hetfield I just did. But you guys know what I'm talking about. That kind of like weird growl. <laughs> The, the, what I imagine his handlebar mustache sounds like. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so he does a legit, like, metal scream, like, in Phantom Lord. And I was just like, fuck yeah, that killed it. Definitely my favorite song on the record was Phantom Lord. I had never listened to this album, by the way, prior to this. I didn't. Oh. I enjoyed Seek and Destroy. I know that's one of their big songs. So I enjoyed that. So I don't know. There was the song Motor Breath, where overall I did not like the song lyrically, but the pre-chorus guitar solo, or not guitar solo, but guitar line was super cool, and I can only assume that was a Dave Mustaine part because it just sounded like something that would come out of Megadeth. Dave Mustaine's parts, will they will, they will last up until the next album as well. I mean, he, he was a massive part, and he, he, he yeah. even well, says... Well, he wrote four of the songs. That's one of them, right? Uh, yeah, he even said that he really hated, like, he, at first he hated Kirk Hammett, and for a long time he did because he stole, quote-unquote, stole his lines, stole his parts. Yeah. So I, I have written right here that uh, Dave Mustaine has four writing credits on this record, yeah. to which I also put at the end of that, hashtag, release the Mustaine cut. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, uh, uh, Warner Brothers is change change.org. Warner Brothers is already doing it. That they're giving Metallica and Dave Mustaine 20,000. 20, that's probably enough, right? Not 20 just million. Just Dave Mustaine. Oh, just, just Dave, Dave Mustaine. Mustaine. So Dave Mustaine that's will put need. his edits over it. He probably needs 20 million dollars though. They're they're going to cure his cancer, give him 20 million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Don't worry, don't worry, guys. He's in remission. So I think uh, one of the coolest things for me in hearing this album again because I haven't heard it in a long time was hearing Cliff Burton, at, like in he- in like a good pair of headphones because oh yeah I didn't I didn't have headphones when I was a kid that were mm-hmm. good enough and man he you know it's largely riff based music and he does a great job of not playing exactly what the riff is which as a bass player I can tell you is not an easy thing to do because it's like a moth to a flame you're like but I could just play that and then everything <laughs> would be okay <laughs> but that uh, the, the what is it anesthesia pulling teeth oh yeah the bass solo thing that's incredible yeah. and that yeah. live footage of him playing it is also incredible it's great apparently it's so that's uh, whenever they were looking for a bassist or whenever they first saw Cliff Burton he was playing that song and to segue us mm. into that, even though we already segued into it, I just wrote on my notes, bass solo with a question mark. <laughs> hey, take one. Bass solo, take one. Take one. <laughs> I guess that's a big thing. I think I've said this before. I've said this before in the podcast, but I tried to learn that when I was in fifth grade and played at a talent show. And it was like, <laughs> I wish I had video of it because I'm sure it was just horrible. I'm sure you nailed it. <laughs> and that was the first time Hagen and I saw Dave play bass. And we were like, you know what? <laughs> Let's let this one cook a little longer, and then we'll come back to it later. <laughs> and turn them down in the mix. <laughs> yes. Turn them down. <laughs> and then three decibels more. So uh, I guess this was one of those rare occasions, this album, when I feel the latter half of the record was better than the first. I find that most albums I listen to, not just Metallica, but and this is obviously my personal opinion, but the latter half has stuff like Phantom Lord, Whiplash, and Seek and Destroy, where as at the beginning you have stuff like um, was Hit the Lights, which, you know, it's cool and all that. It's a good introduction to Metallica, but I'm it, definitely happy to skip it. It I found this, you know, early on, just listening to this first album, I was just like, man, I either really have to pay attention to these songs to be able to say something different about each song, or I'm just going to have to let all this wash over me and just admit that I've listened to five yeah. albums worth of the same song. Well, yeah, it was, I mean, the album was definitely all on the same note, for sure. Yeah. More than the albums that are coming down the pike uh, when they kind of like develop their sound. But they're, they're doing one thing and they do it really well. I mean, I remember I was listening to this album a ton back in like high school when I was really getting into metal and I was like, oh, well, these guys, they're apparently a really great metal band. Let's see what they have to do. And uh, I mean, it it was really shocking to to like think of the time and place in which this album came out, you know, like where the, the music landscape, that's what I always think about. Like, is it a great album by itself? Does it really still hold up? No, it's kind of all on the same plane, but what what the the groundwork that they're laying is i think definitely speaks in in those tracks just real quick on what alex was saying was albums that were out i thought it would be a good idea to kind of say okay well this is one of those pioneering records for metal music thrash metal whatever you want to call it let's just say metal to make this easier on all of us but so i wanted to see kind of what uh popular music was around that time and more specifically kind of more in the rock genre what popular rock albums came out that year so here are just a few examples pyromania by def leppard came out that year uh synchronicity by the police war by u2 
and Frontiers by Journey. I would say that none of those four albums I just mentioned sound anything like this. So it, it definitely was an outlier. And this album right. didn't, this album didn't, you know, really cement their name or anything, but it set them up for success for their later albums. It, it was by no means a failure, but it wasn't this, you know, smash hit per se. I, one of the things I found the funniest about this album is listen, really listening closely to Lars playing drums because, you know, I was trying to pay attention to wondering if he was a better drummer back then. And I think that he he was just as bad back then. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, the opening track yeah. is just the cymbal swells that... Shh, yeah. It's just like, ugh. Man, that is the classic. That's a classic move for a drummer who thinks they're great, but really is a one-trick pony. Yeah, and a lot of the transitions were not clean in the way that, like, you know, you could almost say that some people might find this really interesting and in that they're doing these brilliant transitions and, you know, blending different riffs and things together, but really it seems like they're just fumbling from part to part sometimes. Oh, yeah. I um, mean, honestly, the thing with Lars that gets me is that no matter no matter what album you listen to, you, like you said, transitions are messy, but the other thing is is that, like, if there's a hit, the guitar's going to hit, and then the drum's going to hit a second later. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and it's not like a second, but it's like just, it's just this much off. And it just blows my fucking mind how he got this far. Like, how does how does this asshole, who is an asshole and bad at drums, do this? And what isn't the fuck? Dave Must- or not Dave Mustaine? Isn't um, uh, James Hetfield? Isn't he a better drummer? For sure, one hundred percent. Oh, is he really? I've yeah. never heard him play drums. He so is one. There are there's studio footage. I think it was for their most recent album where. So uh, here's a little thing. I don't know if they did this for Kill 'Em All, their first record, but they definitely do it for most of their albums, if not all. Um, they a lot of the writing of the record comes from James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. So that's the guitar singer and then the drummer. They get in a room, they write out the uh, you know all the parts for the album and all that stuff, and then they bring in the bass and the lead guitar. So that's a really interesting way of doing that, and we can kind of talk a little bit more as we go on that but what's really funny is there's a clip from uh i think it was their most recent album that they just released where their shit they showed the writing process of it and just the two of them in the room and you know james hetfield would play a riff and then lars Ulrich would be like oh yeah and then he'd just do that typical hi-hat kick uh snare pattern he always does and then uh james hetfield was like Oh yeah, let me let me show you. And he would get behind the kit and show him something. <laughs> yep, no it's, joke. And that, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's it just works so funny. It works. Yeah, it, it's so funny to watch, and there is nothing wrong with it except for the fact that Lars is like he's known as as a successful drummer to people who don't think about it, and that bothers the living shit out of me. But aside from that, honestly, like it's it, it's the parts that he wrote to start with. No, they weren't clean. But there was something about them that was really cool on just a base level. It, it, it became One Trick Pony. It became, you could see it coming from a mile away. But, like, whenever he'd hit the toms in the low section and accent those accent those riffs that way, it was a really great thing to hear the first time. The thousandth time, it sucks ass. But, like, the first time, the se- I mean, like, it's awesome. It's a really cool concept. Has anybody yeah. seen Metallica live? Yes. No. no. I have no, not. How was his drumming? 
Uh, I, I don't remember, honestly. Uh, I, I remember really liking the whole performance. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's fun when you're, you know, in the pit. Yeah, and that's but an, when you're sitting listening to an album and all of the drum parts are out of time. <laughs> was it was it with Newstead or with uh, Trujillo? Trujillo. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was like Ozfest, like 2008, I think. Hmm. So I have a really good memory of their. My friend texted me. They had they were coming to Dallas for their most recent tour, and. He texted me and he goes, "Hey, my mom really wanted to go see Metallica, so I, I'm with her at the show. I don't really care to be here, but." And then he just started sending me these videos of Lars Ulrich uh, running around the stage, and he's, he he just kept texting me stuff like, "A dude, he can't find his other kick drum. He's freaking out." <laughs> <laughs> it was just all these things, and it was just like, "God damn!" But I... it's funny, Lars Ulrich. Uh, apparently, you know, for whenever they're gonna release a like a live footage of a song he's notorious for going into the studio and editing that like if they're playing jimmy kimmel live or something like that he's known for you know getting somehow getting you know behind the curtain and saying no you have to edit that you have to make sure everything sounds on time all that kind of stuff which is just crazy it's like hey man how about you put the effort into like all four of you get in a room and practice instead of going through the effort to you know, make this poor person fix your mistakes. But here's here's the thing, is that they did practice a lot. They do practice a lot. And throughout the course of these five albums, Lars took drum lessons for various amounts of time twice. So he just... Just destined to get, suck ass. He can't ass. get it together. He can't get it together. <laughs> no, and... Yep. And and honestly, yeah, the bad. the really big thing. So w- with what you're saying, Jackson, one was that you could find YouTube videos of live footage uh, from someone at the show, and then you can find like the live DVD. And a large example is the double bass. Um, that is that tends to be cleaned up, or someone else dubs it over. I don't know what the case is and how they fix it, but they fix it. Now the other thing is is going back to some kind of monster. They do practice a lot, and even in that documentary, they played a lot. But there was a song in that documentary where there was a, he- a heavy double bass section. And he just said, fuck it. Like, he did one take and goes, I'm going to do it a different way now because I don't want to try. It's like, try. <laughs> Fucking try, oh, man. Or there's the there's another part of that doc where they're trying to get something together. And James just gets, a, he like I think just before he goes to rehab and... Lars is just biffing it. He's just blowing it real bad. <laughs> he's talking, and, he's talking and, about the part where he's like, he's trying to make it feel different. And he's like, dude, God. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the look that James Hetfield gives him, he's just like, oh, my God, I've wasted 20 years of my life with this fucking idiot. Lars Ulrich invented the Neo Soul beat. <laughs> just not on purpose. Neo Thrash. Neo Thrash. Yeah, Neo Thrash. <laughs> oh, man. I, I've been making memes in our group text so much, I'm making that meme. We got to put that up. I like that one. Just making the cut. You guys, you guys ready to move on to the next album? Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're just going to shit on <laughs> Before we do that, I, I made a rating for all of these albums. I'm going to give this one a 5 out of 10, and that's just what I'm going to give it. Let's see if that stays static, that rating system. Like a 5 yeah yeahs out of 10? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Um, okay, so before I move on to Ride the Lightning, you guys ready for the game? Oh, let's do it. All right. It's not. It's, it's you it, lost it, the game. 
<laughs> okay, uh, so I'm keeping points this time. Uh, also because not everybody in this chat drinks, but if you do lose and you do drink, you have to drink. Uh, okay, so the game is... Alex is a loser. He doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my CBD right here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it an elephant pipe? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so the game is How Long Is It? Uh, which song on Kill em All is the longest? A, Jump in the Fire. B, Hit the Lights. C, Seek and Destroy. D, the four horsemen. Everyone one at a time. I know it. Okay, you don't go I'm, first then. <laughs> Dave? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess uh, Seek and Destroy. Okay. Adam's a Seek and Destroy. That was Alex? That my guess too. I'll just say four horsemen to be different. Jackson? It's four horsemen. That song is way too fucking long. <laughs> oh, man. It's four, it's four I mean, horsemen. the whole album was too long. Yes. <laughs> All right. Luckily, the people that lost are the people that drink, so... <laughs> Cheers. That's a really big thing with Metallica that uh, I wrote down a bunch of times in my notes, and I was like, I'm just, I have to stop writing this. But these albums are too long, and yep. the so- like. There's, there's only like you know, roughly eight songs per album, and it just, it just goes on forever. It's just like I love a long song, but when you have like you know like the the same form every single time you play through your verse, chorus, verse, chorus. If you have an intro riff, you're gonna do that. And then you do the solo, and then you do the intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus again. Man, I'm bored. I'm I was bored talking about that. The only one I didn't feel that way about is Ride the Lightning. Ride the Lightning was the only one I didn't feel like was too long. I would like to correct Hagen that there were ten songs on that last album. By the I said way. roughly eight, jackass. Yeah, yeah jackass. but exactly ten. So <laughs> before we move on, I did I wrote down like. I had two fun facts, and Jackson used one of them, which was the metal up your ass. But the other one was Kirk Hammett quoted, uh, he was quoted as saying, Cliff Burton used to carry a hammer around with him everywhere he went, and sometimes he would take it out and just start de- destroying things. <laughs> See, Man. that's metal. That's fucking metal. <laughs> that's, that's fucking metal. metal. So that's, you know, another thing to take into consideration is that these, these were, they were kids at this point. So yeah. the fact that they were doing all this, you know, their fame, I think, got there before they were ready to be that famous i think Lars was always ready to be famous i don't know if anybody had this issue whenever they uh told their significant other that they were going to be listening to five of metallica's albums but (laughs) mine put up a lot of resistance and i think i maybe played 30 seconds of one song out loud and like i thought i was gonna be dumped so it was just like (laughs) There's a universal <laughs> hatred for this band sometimes. Uh, and, yeah. my, 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 my fiance was like, hey, can we, you want to just do it? Like, you can listen to it out loud. And I was like, okay. And I had it on. I think we got like two songs in. I look over at her and she's just totally over it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, is this, is this, this, you know, are you enjoying it? And she goes, yeah. It's a, yeah. <laughs> Every time I had it playing out loud, uh, Kara was like, is this, is this still Metallica? Are you still doing that? <laughs> So yeah, it's, you're like it's you're like it's still four horsemen. <laughs> <laughs> it it just kept going on and on, even though Ride the Lightning is the shortest yeah. album. I listened long. to all five of the albums before today, but then today I had a pretty pretty busy day at work where I knew I was going to be just kind of sitting heads down at my computer. I was like, I'll just put on Metallica for as long as I can bear it, and 
before I knew it, I had listened to four albums and like I took it off and I was just in a sour mood. I was in a real bad mood. I was just like, my eyes hurt. I just listened <laughs> to that shit. for so long. It was it was a bad idea. I should have just came at this fresh. So yeah. Is that why you were late to? I wasn't to late. I was trying today? to adjust for Alex's time in New York City. <laughs> What kind oh, of fucking that's excuse really is that? You, what? Right? <laughs> All right, in uh, in 1984, we have Ride the Lightning. Uh, the singles for this, the single for this one was Creeping Death. Yeah, and there are eight songs on this album, Jackass. Eight songs. <laughs> I want to start with a fun fact that uh, at this point, James Hetfield felt uneasy about performing rhythm guitar and singing, so he offered uh, the band offered the singing chair to Armored Saint singer John Bush, who turned it down because. His band was uh, doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know Armored Saint, right? It's your favorite exactly. band. That's the band that Adam listens to all the time, and now they're doing scores, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so how many people do you guys think were mad when this album started with clean acoustic guitars? <laughs> How many 80s metalheads do you think <laughs> got out their Cliff Burton uh, signature hammer and started smashing their tape? I think the, I think the, the, the riots were bigger than the Napster riots. There were, more, there were more smashing of Metallica albums from that than from the Napster shit. Dude, yeah. there's, there's footage of one guy who was like, I'm a big Metallica fan, but I, I hate them now. I hate them. I'm going to burn all my CDs that I have of theirs. Ah. <laughs> uh. What oh the fuck? I love when people talk about burning uh, like artist merch because especially uh, John Lennon was super famous for saying like because people would ask him like, oh, what do you think about uh, these people burning your merch? He goes, they're buying it, right? And they go, yeah, to burn it. And he goes, they're buying it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I do not like John Lennon at all. But like, fuck, yeah, that is some pretty metal shit you just said there. So this was recorded uh, in Copenhagen. Uh, it, they're quoted later saying, uh, it was after this album, but they're quoted saying the acoustics and studios in America just aren't right. Uh, oh man, I read that and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> wow. What does that mean? So this is in the eighties where, uh, Phil Collins was responsible for that snare noise. Uh, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sure that Lars convinced them that was the case. I'm sure that just Lars, the, like, just which was like, we no, we gotta go record in Copenhagen. We gotta go, we gotta go there. It's way better. Oh, he was definitely like my dad said. It's the best studio in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, uh, mentioned his dad earlier about the tennis star thing, but another great part of the documentary is when he brings his dad in to show him the takes that they had done so far for Saint Anger. <laughs> His dad listens to it and he's like, um, I don't know if if it were me, I, I, I would delete all of that. I would delete all of this. <laughs> yeah, he, said, he said he said I would throw it in the trash bin. I don't know. I mean, and he's he's like, Maybe I'm just living in a bubble and I don't know what good music is anymore, but this is bad. <laughs> Lars just always wanted his father's approval. 
Yeah, that's what it is. Never get daddy to love him. <laughs> Imagine being in that spot as a, what I assume at that point, what his dad was like probably 60 or 70, however old he was. And he's just sitting there like, a, am I so out of touch that I think this is bad and it's really actually good? Or am I right here? <laughs> like he was getting like gaslit by his son musically. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty great. I honestly like every every interaction that Lars has is a joke. Um, okay, so <laughs> so they largely they largely used uh, like demos and 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 tape tapes of them jamming to get this album together, which I honestly think is really cool because I really like this album. It's a it's a really great way. It's I mean it's lucky, honestly, it's fucking lucky that those you know tapes of them jamming turned into this. They were supposed to have a $20,000 budget to record this album. Their manager, Z, who mentioned earlier, who had like put all of his like you know life savings into Metallica, he couldn't do more than 20000 but they end up spending $30,000. So Z had to get help from a European label to cover it. And then they fired Z after that <laughs> because there wasn't enough press for the album. They should have tried releasing an album for all 50 provinces of copenhagen (laughs) dave just got up and left (laughs) (laughs) i I do want to start by saying and now that dave's back perfect timing but uh the song this is an album that i had not listened to before this as well so uh there's another thing i'm obviously not a metallica fan but i had never heard this album before this i had heard for whom the bell tolls, which fuck whoever taught Metallica proper grammar. Uh, and then also that song slaps so hard. That song <laughs> can get it's it. Really, uh, Cliff Burton wrote that riff before he joined the band. Yeah. So he had that in his back pocket just waiting like, here we go. Here's the <laughs> one of the most iconic bass intros of all time. Yeah. Cliff Burton wow. like had like he had a bunch more uh, music knowledge than the rest of them and taught them basically how to write songs better, <laughs> which is yeah. I, I think that's also a really big part of why this album is better is because there is I mean, it's my favorite, but I think it's a yeah. big part of why it's so good is because Cliff Burton like held their hand into being like, hey, here's how you can make a metal song. Well, and, and while that was happening, the producer and the drum roadie had to teach Lars the basic timing and beat duration uh, because Lars had a tendency to speed up, which is like, <laughs> I, I, like get it the fuck together, dude. You're in a big-ass thrash metal band. It's your second <laughs> album, and you're like, take care of your shit. What are you talking about, speeding up? What? I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get what you're saying. I don't, I don't understand. Oh, <laughs> that's a good... Uh, that's a good Lars. I'm, my, here's my Lars impression. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> when he just gets right in James's face and just yells, "Fuck!" <laughs> so fucking stupid. I wrote uh, uh, two notes on the song "Fade to Black," which I had not heard prior to this, but I know it's one of their big songs. Oh. I wrote "Fade to Black," more like "What?" Fade out the song. Ah, uh, I hate it when songs <laughs> fade out, and that song faded out. So write a nine-minute metal song, but fade out the song. Figure out how to end your songs, people. I'm looking at you, John Mayer. I mean, it, it is really lazy, but you also hadn't heard it before, and that's weird. I'm looking so. at you, John Mayer. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I love John Mayer, but that is my biggest gripe with him is that he fades out every song. And I know that's a pop formula thing, but wow, I hate that. 
Well, yeah, because if you, if you fade out the song, it's more likely to get stuck in your head. Yeah, and I get it, but I don't know. I think it detracts from the artistic integrity of the song to me. I get it. It's a psychology thing of, oh, it makes you feel like there's more or like you're ready to listen to it again, but ah, I hate that. It makes me feel like I'm missing out on the whole thing. It, I didn't pay for the DLC, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That no, wait, that's the that's the next Metallica play. Is they're going to put microtransactions in their next record. If you want to hear the next part of the album, you have to buy it, but you can't use regular money. They're going to have Metallica points that you have to spend to buy the rest of the album. What's the transaction rate uh between uh Copenhagen dollars and a metallica rupee <laughs> metallica i thought you said metallica groupie <laughs> yeah which for them like, nowadays uh... is just a bunch of occupational therapists <laughs> so the other note that i wrote about fade to black is fade to black is probably the first example of what becomes a familiar song structure for the band and what this song structure to me is it's a soft intro and then it gets heavy, and then there's a not-so-smooth transition into a slow-chugging guitar, and then, oh, yeah, a widdly-diddly guitar solo. Well, yeah, they had a thing where they, like, for, uh, I think it was Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets, they had uh, an up-tempo song that has an acoustic intro as the opening, then there was the title track, and then the fourth track with it was a song that had, like, ballad-like qualities. Yeah. So they were they were following a formula. Yeah, the band for this album and the previous album, Kill 'Em All, for the most part, James Hetfield is singing pretty monotone, growling. If you want to call it screaming, you can. I'll just judge you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but it, there's not really much melody to his vocals, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that definitely made it. There was a song called Escape on this record, Ride the Lightning, that came out and it had this like classic rock-esque chorus that I did not see coming at all and it wasn't bad in fact I kind of liked it just because it was different but it definitely I was just like whoa there's a melody in the vocal line that's weird well that was the the label wanted them to write a song like that so that they could get some airplay on the radio and I, I wrote down the only time they performed it live was once in 2012 for the Orion Music Festival uh, because they played Ride the Lightning in it, its entirety. So that's the only time they ever played it. Otherwise, like, mm. James Hetfield hates that song. Mm. Guys, we should all buy tickets to one of those, because they occasionally do those uh, by request shows. We should all buy tickets to it and request that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got uh, five requests for Escape. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess, we, gotta I guess do we gotta do play it. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck those guys. We're not doing it. Adam, did you like this album? I liked it more than the first one. Um, but no, not that much. I don't know. I, I get where Hagen can say it's his favorite album of theirs, and I think it's good still. I just... I don't like Metallica at all. So. <laughs> the title track of this album, I know is one of their... Isn't that the... That's right. No, that's Seek and Destroy. Yeah, fuck it. Never mind. I have no point then. <laughs> same, same thing. 
But they do they do rip themselves off, so oh, it might be Ride yeah. the Lightning as well. They do rip themselves off. But I think I think the big thing about Ride the Lightning for me, uh, uh, one of the reasons I love this album so much, is solely just the song Ride the Lightning is enough. That song is enough. If I hear the talking it, talking it, I'm I'm in, I'm in, sold, sold. That's it. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah. The- I enjoyed like the first half of that song, or maybe the first two thirds. But there was some point where that song just lost me. It was too long, and I was like, ah. There was something really good here, and then I just kind of lost it. But that intro, mm-hmm. super cool. It's the same I'm gonna take I'm gonna take an unpopular opinion and say I think the album's brilliant. I think of all of the of the first five, no, definitely of their entire discography, this yeah. was the most like th- this album <laughs> front to back was actually like well constructed. There's a lot of different textures and movements, and he James Hetfield actually starts singing and. They actually have hooks and melodies and harmony, and there's it, it expands in a way that was, yeah, more palatable for a lot of people who maybe don't listen to metal. But in terms of like it being a very epic, heavy, symphonic record, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And it's 1984. Yeah, that like, too. They had a that's year. That's huge. That's huge. They had one year, had yeah, year. between releasing the first record and this one, and which is... They toured, too. Really crazy. They toured, yeah. which is also insane. It's crazy. I mean, that also was a really big thing with recording this. They only had a certain amount of time to record it because they had to go tour more of Europe. So they had to I finish I think it was this. like four months or something? Uh, I think they only had 29 days to record it. Oh, okay. I think, I think they had well. like a, roughly a month to record the album, which, I mean, that's a decent amount of time. But for someone who's bad at their instrument, <clears throat> it takes a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the difference between this album and the first album is really, like, remarkable, even though I don't like it still, but it's surprising how good right. this sounds yeah. in comparison. Uh, I, I, really, I really love this album, absolutely. It's, it's I, I, to say what you, like, piggyback on what you said, Alex, I think that Cliff Burton was a really big reason why it was so yeah. different. I think that yeah. he really felt more comfortable in the writing process, and I mean, like you said, the writing process was primarily James and Lars, but I, I think that Cliff was teaching them how to be better the entire way through. So you actually got, you know, a better product in the end, even though James was doing so much writing. But, you know, it makes sense because this is Cliff's first opportunity to actually work on the songs with the band, where the first album, all the songs were a majority done. They were already finished. Yeah. So they knew what they were going to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys listened to his isolated bass tracks? I have not. It's really interesting because it, I, I think... I mean, he's pretty well known in between musicians. We all know his name, partly because of his tragic death, but also because of his work with this group. And it's largely underappreciated sometimes when you listen to the record, because like you were saying earlier, Dave, like you can't even hear the bass, like depending on how you're listening to it, you're probably not getting it through. So when you listen to his isolated tracks, you can get a better idea of like, the raw energy that is kind of subliminal, but it's there. And he's playing it like crazy. Like, it, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. He's so underrated. He's so underrated. Yeah. It, that's such a weird, and that's a really good point, Alex, that he's underrated when it comes to the albums. But I would definitely say people respect him, uh, definitely among musicians, when it comes to, like, oh, if you see his live takes, if you actually you know, see his solos, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff live. People definitely are like, oh, Cliff Burton, 
was a badass and was probably mm-hmm. the best member of the band at that time. Whereas, like, but if you just know the albums, you know, say for a couple songs, it's it's really hard for you to say, oh, that bassist is revolutionary. And again, keep in mind, he, he died at the age of 24. Yeah. The, the other side of that being is that with the mixing, I think that, you know, mixing something for us to listen to it on speed, even back then, you know, to have good headphones was hard to find and to hear bass and to hear all of the nuances on any album back then was hard to find. And even now, it wasn't mixed, even though it was remixed and remastered. It wasn't mixed for you to hear the bass. I think his bass tone was designed to hear it in parts, but largely to support everything. So even though his bass parts were really important, when you do hear his tone, I mean, it's like it it, it screams this was designed for this band, for this mm-hmm. setting to just be this amazing support because Lars yeah. can't play drums and the guitar the guitar players are still figuring out what they want to do. So his tone and his playing was like, I'm going to hold this shit together even if you can't really mm-hmm. hear me. Yeah. That's the mark of a true, yeah, like bassist too, because that is that is the role of the the instrument. It's like that backbone. Do, that do all the work and never be heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's humbling, right? <laughs> speaking of speaking of doing all the work and never being heard, Dave Mustaine has two writing credits on this record. Need I say, hashtag release the Mustaine cut. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do agree, Alex, that it was, you know, it is a really, it's a really big step up from their old, like the first record, and they did mature a lot, and they've, they've gotten a lot better at transitions, and Hetfield's voice sounds much better. Kirk Hammett markedly improved his soloing on this record, so, yeah. yeah. Man, can we talk about his solos real quick? I mean, it, it's so weird, and I said it, that it sounds like wittily diddly, but... It, it's like whenever you see somebody playing Guitar Hero and then the solo comes up and it's just like those three notes back and forth. That's what his guitar <laughs> solos sound like. And it's just like he always has the wah pedal. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm glad that he has a signature style, but maybe change it up a little bit. If anyone's listening and says, you, then you play it. Okay, maybe I would try it. But also, if you have that much facility you're not that far away from doing something a little bit more interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm not discrediting his ability to play a guitar at all. He can play circles around me at like even we're talking about I'm 25. 25-year-old Kirk Hammett could play circles around me. No question. But that doesn't really discredit I, I think that's a, a that's a horrible music critique uh, when people are like, "Oh, you know, if you think this is bad, maybe you should try and do it. It's like, no, no. I mean, that building that just fell down over there, that was bad engineering, but that doesn't mean I can do that, you know, create a building. It's just like, it's a weird critique. I mean, I don't know. Dave, yeah. you got me mad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the thing with his solos, and it's the same thing that we'll talk about, that we've mentioned with Lars, is that it's a, it's a one-trick pony thing, except the difference is, is that, that – Kirk can do more. He just doesn't. He loves what he does. He loves that. And he talked about that in uh, Some Kind of Monster. Uh, they proposed not doing a solo in a song, and Kirk was like, no, 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 wait, 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 what? What is this? What is this? We're doing oh, the a solo. The only time in the entire documentary that, or the only time I've ever seen Kirk get upset was that moment. Yeah. And, and he, he has this weird vibe about him that he seems just constantly like one of those guys who's always 
you know, fixated on his aura or his like chi, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like he's just he's really like just always he seems like he's really focused on like dude just be calm it's okay like yeah. that asshole can't play drums that dude's an alcoholic you know just chill out and play your whittly diddlies and and he he really does like he i mean he likes his whittly diddlies he feels home in those and and it's a good thing for him but it does suck that sometimes they aren't different there is live footage of him doing some pretty insane solos that are different but majority of the songs include the same solo virtually the entire time. Yeah. But it's at this point in their career, it didn't bother me, right? Listening listening to Ride the Lightning, I knew what I was getting into, but I wasn't bothered by his solos yet. Yeah. No. It's stylistically appropriate. But I think, too, it, he does mention in the documentary when, I think Hagen was about to say this before, when they're talking about the idea of not having guitar solos, he says, I understand that guitar solos might not be the most popular thing to do right now, but that's what we do. So we can do a different thing because that's what we want to do, but we shouldn't get rid of guitar solos because there are no guitar solos in the music that we're involved in today. He's like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you're saying we shouldn't date ourselves by having a guitar solo, but we also shouldn't date ourselves now by getting rid of them because that's what's in trend. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I was in my living room, I was in my living room like, Kirk, yeah, dude, he said something. <laughs> That's my boy. He said something, but he got so upset. And it was so funny just to hear him snap so fast and be like, no, why no solos? We're doing solos. What? It was. And then he sits back. He's like, but, you know, I mean, whatever. Because <laughs> there's, there's a part in the documentary where he's sitting, like, they're driving in some car. And he's like, you know, I mean, like, I've gotten used to suppressing my ego because <laughs> I, just, I just let them go ahead with theirs. And they have such big egos and they argue a lot. So I'm used to being a small person. <laughs> I'm going to give Ride the Lightning a six out of eight. <laughs> out of eight? <laughs> is it a six out of eight? Is that what it is? Uh, I believe you're thinking uh, Ride the Lightning, but yeah. You guys ready to play the game? Let's play the game. How long is it? it? Oh, man. All right, which song's longer on this album? A, Fade to Black. <sighs> B, The Call of Cthulhu, which I don't know why they spelled it that way. C, Ride the Lightning. D, Creeping Death. I'm going to say the one that's spelled weird, Call of Cthulhu. I'm going to go with that one as well. It is Cthulhu, but they spelled it Cthulhu. Yeah, it's spelled with a C. Right. Yeah. They spelled it wrong. They did that on purpose so that it would be more uh, readable. Stupid. (laughs) Alex? I was going to say Ride of the Lightning, but... I don't know. It might be Creeping Death. Okay. Jackson? Well, that was the single. I'm going to go with Ride the Lightning. I'm going to go with my intuition. Okay. So it's either Ride the Lightning or Fade to Black. And since I don't think anybody said it, I'm going to say Fade to Black. All right. The answer is The Call of Cthulhu. Woo! So, uh, yeah, yeah, it comes in almost nine minutes. I think earlier you said Fade to Black was a nine-minute song. It's like like maybe six minutes. It's not that. It's not. Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> it's probably uh, that fa- it's probably that fade out. I was so confused. Alex Alex has to Alex has to smoke some CBD and Jackson has to drink kombucha. You guys suck. Hold on. Hey, Mom. we love our bodies. Alex, which two did you <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I love Alex's body. Which two songs were you? you I was between on? Ride the Lightning and Creeping Death. Okay, that's what I thought. Th- those are the same length actually. Hey, do you have hey. the fucking timestamps up? Are you cheating right now? Mm-mm. 
Close that motherfucker. What the fuck is now, this? Yeah. You're not cheating. I'll close it no, anyway. I don't now. trust you now. God damn it, album. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I got to put that meme in this episode too. <laughs> 